Welcome back to Exquisitely Aligned, where we empower you to find your answers on the inside because transformation is not a Google search, is it? Today, I am delighted to have with me Allison Roberts, and I think you'll shortly know why. Allison Roberts is the founder of Unapologetic Power and the creator of Personalized Science, her cognitive behavioral system of combining the science of the brain with spirituality, now you're getting it, right? Allison is recognized as top 100 coaches in the world by Feedspot and recently took the stage at TEDx Federal Hill. Her programs are award-winning, making Allison a highly respected and sought after transformational expert all around the globe. She is an international best-selling author with her latest book, The Spiritual Journey the part no one talks about. Receiving recognition in dozens of podcasts and other media. Allison has appeared on podcasts, television, radio, and as a guest speaker on multiple stages. Her mission is to help other entrepreneurs and executives share their stories in order to build their brand that forms a deep bond with their clients and customers. She's created Unapologetically Launched, a program that gets her clients on TEDx stages, bestseller list, and is a one-stop shop for building programs that sell out. Welcome, Allison. I am delighted to share the mic with you this morning as we connected once before and found out we had many similarities. I have a feeling that this conversation will uncover a few more. So I am delighted to have you. And um, I'd love to say that when I was reading your, your bio, introducing you, allowing people to tell their stories. I believe that we have so many stories to tell and some of which we can empower others with them. I like to say we get invitations either from God, the universe, um, life, whatever word suits you. And I like to think that there's two, but I'm guessing there's many more too that I've recognized so far. You can tell me if you've seen more, but um, so frightening and enlightening is one of them where we have the ability to go from feeling very uncomfortable, even unfrightened, even frightened to feeling and knowing that we're enlightened and to help others. And then the other being intimidating and intriguing. So I know that you have a couple and I wondered if you'd like to start off by sharing one with us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a story that I'm going to tell, I'm inspired to tell it because of the art behind you. <laughs> um, but I actually survived a plane crash Mm. <laughs> and uh, I'm sharing this because it came up in another podcast interview about how we don't share our stories because of shame. Mm -hmm. And I was in, uh, you know, it's always about a boy. It's always about a boy with me. All, all of my, <laughs> all of my stories, uh, they all, they all start out once upon a time, there was a boy. Um, <laughs> So I was a uh, I was a pen pal with this with this kid that I met at Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida, when I was 13 years old, mm -hmm. and we our families were out. You know, the numbers were weird. So his parents asked my parents 
if he and I could ride the roller coaster together. Otherwise, we were going to be sitting by ourselves. <laughs> we ended up riding that roller coaster and another one and the Ferris wheel and all the things. And at the end of the day, we said goodbye, but we exchanged addresses because back then there was no, you know, internet or <laughs> cell phones. And we became pen pals. Mm-hmm. And six years later, I, or no, that's not right. Five years later, I joined him um, in Upper New York. And I didn't know that he wasn't a licensed pilot. And I didn't know that he had never flown his dad's airplane before. Um, but we ended up basically stealing his dad's airplane, which I had no idea we were doing that. But we, <laughs> we ended up. Um, to make a long story short, we ended up um, going to Niagara Falls. It was wonderful. Wow. Yeah. And then we got back in the plane, but it started collecting ice. Yeah. And so we went down very, very rapidly. And I tell this story because life literally can change within just a matter of minutes. Yes. It really can. And if you had told me after surviving that plane crash that a year later I would be living in my car, pregnant and not married and freezing to death and trying to figure out this really big crossroads in my life, I would have told you then that you were that you were crazy. Um, but life, you know, life has twists and turns. And I think that that so often we we only we pick one story and we just focus on that one story. But we are we are so much more than that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm um so it's interesting that you picked that story to tell, right? Because of the the painting behind me. As much as I love to travel, the airplane flight is not my favorite. <laughs> me either. So I am, a, a, you know, the white knuckle girl uh-huh. uh, who who my husband told me on the way back from our honeymoon, like. The next time we fly, you have to be medicated. <laughs> I looked at him and I'm like, I don't do medicines, you know, but it was just such a turbulent flight that I thought we were going down. We did not have ice on the plane, but we had such heavy winds coming back across the ocean from Europe that uh, I was afraid I was going down into the ocean. So, uh, yes, but life can change in a matter of moments. And and I believe, you know, as a, a once a yoga teacher, always a yoga teacher, that we have to be flexible and figure out ways to stay our most balanced so that in those times of wind or ice piling on the airplane, we can meet or wither those storms. I always, when I taught yoga, I loved palm trees. I, I still do. That's part of the reason why I'm now in California. But You know, swaying palms is a yoga pose where you go from Mm -hmm. side to side with your arms overhead 
and get that flexibility in the side body that often we don't do sitting at a desk, driving in a car, you know, walking down the street. We're not stretching left to right side. And um, one of the beautiful things I remember once reading is uh, the concept of the wind coming through uh, like along Charleston, let's say, South Carolina, the wind coming through and the palms being able to wither the storm where some of the other trees are so rigid that they collapse, you know. Um, And so being flexible and being able to, you know, uh, heal as you have so beautifully in so many ways. So um, being pregnant in a car in the cold is, um, you know, gives me goosebumps. I know little bits and pieces of your story. Um, and it still brings tears to my eyes as I'm sitting here. I'll be honest with you and goosebumps on my arms. Um, but Allison, if you don't mind, will you share a little bit about that? It, because I think it just shows a little hint of as a transformation expert, how you really have been able to transform your own life. I want to say first, yeah, before like the oxygen mask, right? Put the oxygen right. mask on first and then helping others. And it's something I too, as a transformation expert, am so passionate about. And I think we have our own journeys and stories. So if you wouldn't mind uh, just sharing some more about that, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. Um so uh, after that incident uh, with the with the plane, uh, I came back home. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I came back home and um, started college. And I grew up in a narcissistic, um, violent, abusive household. Wow. And it, it um, you know, thank goodness now, you know. We, there's a lot more attention being paid to mental health, but in the eighties, there, there wasn't any, and no. I had no one to, to, and I, I didn't know that I was in a narcissistic household, um, until I got into therapy and then they started reading off all of my symptoms and I was like, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. And they're like, oh, well, your parents were narcissists. And I'm like, what is that? Um, so, you know, I frame that the story with that foundation because so many times when people hear the word homeless, they think of drugs or some type of addiction. And that was not the case with me. I literally had nowhere to go. So Mm -hmm. once upon a time, there was a boy and uh, I was, I ran out of gasoline um, on a country road. I was out for a Sunday drive and, um, it, you know, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So, I, you know, I smoked at the time. So I pulled out a cigarette and I was sitting on the hood of my car. I'm smoking a cigarette. And about, I don't know, an hour or so later, um, this pickup truck starts barreling down the road and this very handsome man uh, gets out of his pickup truck and he, he was like, listen, you have two options. I can either go get gas for you and bring it back, but it's going to be dark. Oh. And he's like, I really don't want you on this dirt road. 
in the dark by yourself. He's like, or you can roll the dice and get in my truck and uh, I'll take you to the gas station. So um, at the time, you know, if you look at Atlanta now, you think dirt road, but at the time, <laughs> Atlanta was very, very rural. Yeah. And the gas station that we're talking about was like a good like 45 <laughs> minutes away, right? Oh so I got in his truck and we just started talking and, and I found myself sharing things with him um, that I that I normally just wouldn't share with people. Sure. You know, he was like, what are you doing out here in the middle of nowhere? And I was like, I want to go home. You know, he's like, well, why don't you want to go home? And I'm like, because it cuts my mom. And he was like, well, what about your mom? And I'm just like, and then we got to the gas station and then I felt the shame come over me. Like, oh, I just like opened up this big can of worms with this complete stranger. But then I was like, yeah, he's a stranger. I'm never going to see him again. Who cares? <laughs> you know, and the, the gas attendant, she was all flirty with him. And she's like, hey, and he's like rolling his eyes. So we got back in his truck and I was giving him just complete hell about that. I'm like, oh, you're, you know, we're leaving your girlfriend behind. And he was like, you know, that's not true. So anyway, we just hit it off and he took me back to my car and I, he was like, well, you know, I'll see you around. He, he made sure that my car started and I was like, yeah, great. And so we only, I only had enough gas to really get back to that gas station <laughs> the tank. And he knew that. So he went back to the gas station and sat there and waited for me to pull in. And then he was like, let's get some dinner. And I was like, all right. And we were inseparable after that. Mm -hmm. Inseparable. Um, he was, con you know, like seven, almost eight years older than me. He had a construction company. He had his own house, which was a farm. Mm -hmm. so he had a cow and goats and a horse and like all the things. And I just, I, I, I just found like complete sanctuary with him. Mm -hmm. And then we, he, he asked me to marry him. I said, yes. Um, and things were rocking and rolling along. And then I missed my period. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I told him and I was expecting it to be this whole thing, but he was so happy, you know, I mean, he was almost 30 years old. So yeah. it wasn't like this, you know, I was 19, but he was almost 30. So he was over the moon and we were just thrilled. Well, the thing is, is that his dad had a key to the house. Hmm. And every morning his dad would come. I had already moved in and everything. Every morning his dad would come and have coffee, make his own coffee. He would come and make his own sandwiches in the afternoon. He wow. would have a wife and his own big, beautiful house, like 10 miles away. There was a swimming pool and the whole thing. He would just come and hang out. And he did not like me. And so, when oh. we, yeah, he did not like me. Um, I did not come from the right side of the tracks in his opinion. You know, I wasn't going to an Ivy League school, even though his son didn't. Um, you know, I didn't come from a lot of money, even though his son didn't. Uh, it was just this whole thing. So his dad, when we told him that I was pregnant, his parents were sitting in the living room. And his dad went to his truck, got out of his checkbook, came back in, wrote me a check and handed it to me and was like, you will have an abortion. Now, I am not 
um, pro-life. I believe that women have the right to choose. But that baby was conceived in like love and in the happiest, truly the happiest time of my life. Yeah. And it was not an option for me. I was just like, I'm, I'm not doing that. But then my fiance that night and the next morning, he just kept saying, you know, maybe you should. He was so terrified of his father. He was so afraid of him. And he was like, I'll simply, and then he, and then he got down on his knees and begged me to go. Wow. Yeah. So I went and I was on the table getting ready to be put to sleep. And I pulled the IV out of my arm Mm -hmm. and I sat up on the bed. I was just like, I just, I can't do this. And I, I ran out of the, of the clinic. Um, and the nurses of course were running after me and, and one of them was kind of an asshole, but the other one was like, listen, you don't have to do anything that you don't want yeah. to do. Let me, let me bandage up your arm. And I was covered in my own blood. She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. With your arm, you need to put your clothes back on. Like, let's just calm down with me. Let's just breathe. You know? And so, yeah. She got me back together again and I went home, but then I lied and a lie is never, it's just never okay. You know, unless your life is in danger and you have to lie about yeah. you know, sure. the situation, right, but, right. but you know, lying is just, it's just not okay. And, um, I lied. I told him that I had had the abortion that I went through with it. Um, and, you know, we weren't having sex because you're not supposed to have sex and yeah. all things. And then two weeks later, um, it was like four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And I, I was morning sickness at that end and I was mm. just throwing up and he came in there and I, I like felt his hands. I pulled my hair up and he put it in a ponytail and he went and got a cold rag and he put it on the back of my neck. And he was just like. I knew you lied, you know, it's like, we just knew each other. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 You know, whether, whether my, my therapist now says, Oh, you guys were in a major trauma bond, whether we were in a major trauma bond or not, we knew each other. Like we, we understood each other on a really deep level and I betrayed him. And it was, I think if I had just gone home and said, Listen, I can't go through with it. I think it probably would have gone in a completely different direction. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. But because I had lied to him, um, he was just like, listen, let me talk to my dad and, and, and see, you know, what, what's going to happen. And that should have been a red flag. Cause why do you have to talk to your dad about yeah. lying when you're 27 years old? Right. Right. And you have your own place. You right. have you're getting place. married. Like, right. you know, I mean, I have two children, 21 year old son, and then our daughter is 17. And, you know, they'll always be my children. But, you know, you hope that when they are adults, you are able to let them be adults and make their yeah. decisions. I mean, even as a 17 and 21 year old, I have to allow them the space to make their own mistakes, even when I know it's going to end up with a bump, a bruise, a scrape, stitches, you know what I'm saying? And I'm using that as they're not, they're not rollerblading, but you know, 
life happens and there are going to be decisions that they make that I can kind of warn them, but in the end they have to use their own intuition, their own inner knowing. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad to hear uh, that clearly I think he loved you. I, I, I really don't even say think I, 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 I can tell he loved you and it was, you know, respect and you guys knew each other. It's a shame that there was a third person in the, in the mix. Yeah. It's, it's really devastating, honestly. Um, And I don't know, I was too naive to understand. And I was also just terrified um, to really understand that it was not going to go well for me. It was just not going to go well. But I wasn't expecting this. So when I got home from school that night, um, it was pouring down rain. And I didn't notice that they had put all of my stuff out um, in this little shed that we had. But when I went up to go into the house, the door was locked. And I took out my keys. The key didn't work. I went around to the back. Um, the door the, the locks had been changed on the doors. And I stood there and screamed, pounded on the doors until my, like, you could practically, like, see the bone in this knuckle. Yeah. I had knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and screamed like I lost my voice. And so I finally turned around, and that's when I saw all of my stuff in, like, big black garbage bags and boxes. And I drove this, like, tiny little 1978 Volkswagen Beetle. And, you know, the, the trunk is in the front, and it's, it's yeah. small. And so <laughs> I'm just putting, you know, as much stuff as I can into my car. Um, I never did get the rest of my stuff from him. So I drove to... Um, at a Hardee's fast food restaurant that had a payphone, and I called my mom, who I had not spoken to, um, like in probably six or seven months at that point. Mm. And, but she had found out through my sister that I was engaged to be married and I was living with a boy and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so my mom was thrilled, honestly, that I was crying and screaming on the phone. She, she, because narcissists want us to be in pain. They get a lot of power. Mm. So she was like, of course, you know, come back, come home. It's fine. So I went back to my mother's house. Um, a lot of people asked me, you know, why didn't you go? Where was your dad? You know, my dad was in full alcoholism at the time. Wow. It's just not an option to go. Right. So, um, I went back to my mother's house and she figured out very quickly that I was pregnant because I was vomiting and just. And then I want to say this. Narcissists don't act like we do. No, they don't. They, they, they don't. They don't act normal. And so if, when people have never had to deal with a narcissist, um, they have pretty harsh judgment towards me about Mm. certain things. And I'm like, that's fine. You can judge me, but that just tells me that you don't understand narcissism. So I, and I think, let me just add quickly. I think even that people who are in a narcissistic relationship, whether it be parent child, like I've seen happen um, through my marriage, 
they don't even know that the person's a narcissist no. because it's it's dad it's you know whomever it's my husband it's my what uh child it's my so it's and you brought up a great you brought up many great points thank, thank you, you Allison but one of which uh give a second voice to is that you know in the 80s mental health wasn't really spoken about you've used yeah. the word shame there's shame around it um still i think it's not spoken about in the manner in which i would like it to be or i think you would like it to be either and i think that's why we both like giving it a voice but Narcissism is a very, uh, having, having experienced it myself, first I approached this person like scratching my head. Something is wrong. Something is off. Why does this person say such ugly things to my husband? My father-in-law was saying, why would he say that? Why would he say that about my daughter who's adopted? Why would... You know, and this went on, you know, in early parts of the um, while we were engaged, while we were married, while we became parents. And finally, I said to my husband, something is wrong. You know, mm -hmm. like, so I think, yes. I, you know, like it, it's um, and then I'll also give you uh, my mother was very upset when I said what I did. And she said, that is such a cruel thing to say about another human being. But the truth is. Uh, and I think you can attest to this, Allison, is that there are some people where it's very hard to find the light in their eyes, in their heart, in their soul, in their in their essence, in their being. Um, very, very difficult because it just it's not there. Like, in my opinion, OK, everybody has their own opinion. But in my opinion, it's not it's missing. Right. And so when you say they don't act, they don't think, they don't speak the way we do, they're not motivated the way we are, but no. they love the light. They love sucking the light out of someone like you who is glowing, you know, from radiating from the inside out, somebody who knows she can find the positive in any situation, you know, so... Um, yeah, uh, sorry to interrupt you on that, but it is, um, yeah, no, I'm glad that you did because it, it needs yeah. real clarity, you know, because yeah. when I tell, when I tell people, when I share this next part of the story, yeah. um, so often, um, people just don't believe it, but narcissists will often, the reason a narcissist wants to know every single thing about you is so when you disappoint them, they can use that same information against you later. Yeah. Except they trump it. They always make it just a little bit worse, right? So, right. you know, if you're dating a narcissist and you're like, oh, my ex-husband cheated on me, um, they'll cheat on you twice. Or they'll 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 make it like two people at the same time. I mean, they'll just they have to like one up, up the person all the time. So, of course, in a weak moment, and as, and as soon as I shared this with my mother, I knew that I was in trouble. But in a weak moment where I really wanted her love and her understanding and her approval, I shared with her that they had packed up all of my stuff and put it outside and changed the locks on the doors. Mm. Well, unbeknownst to me, um, my fiance's dad and my mother 
were talking. She called him. Wow. And they, they were talking back and forth because, of course, you know, my fiance's father, uh, you know, I wasn't, he wasn't in my life long enough to, and I, I haven't had a therapist diagnose him as a narcissist, but if I had to, yeah. <laughs> um, so my mother came into my room. I had a Jack and Jill um, bathroom situation and I was really sick during that pregnancy. And I, I was just, I was on the floor, almost passed out from vomiting so hard. Sure. And she came into the bathroom and she stood over me with her hands on her hips. And she said, if you don't kill that effing baby growing inside of you, um, then I'll do it myself. And oh my gosh. yeah. And she was like, you will have an abortion and that's just the way it is. And I gathered the strength and I stood up and I tower over her. She's very short. And uh, I was towering over her and I said, I've already been down that road and I'm not doing that. Just in that calm yeah. tone right there. And then she was started screeching and she's like, you don't yell at me. You don't talk to me like that. Um, you know, I, I can't believe that you would talk to me with that tone. I can't believe that you would say that to me. And mm. she was and and I and I managed to calm her down. And then I said, let's just talk about it tonight when I get home. You know, yeah. let me think about it. Because that's how you have to talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Better yeah, not talk. Right. right. No one know when to speak and know when to, you and know, to agree with them. Right. So right. Just, you know, you're Definitely. probably right. We just need to talk about, you know, I'll talk about it when I get home, when I Absolutely. get home. So I went to school and I came home and it sounds crazy, but it was raining again, except this time it was mixed with sleet and snow. Mm. And I went up to open the door because we didn't we didn't lock our doors. Huh? Hello. Yeah. Um, and the door was locked. And so I went back to my car and I fished out my house key. Um, and I went back to the door and I, I thought, you know, she's mad. She locked the door. It wouldn't. The key didn't work. Oh, gosh. And we had five doors around our house. It was a big house. And I went from door to door to door to door to door. And the key did not work on any of the doors. And um, I sat in my Volkswagen with the clothes on my back was all the only thing that I owned were the clothes on my back, um, a satchel, as we used to call it, with my school supplies. Yeah. A half-eaten Egg McMuffin a half bottle of orange juice for my breakfast that morning yeah. and a dollar and 79 cents to my name and a, a full tank of gas. I had just filled up my, my car with gasoline and I sat in my driveway and screamed at the top of my lungs. I cussed out God and I was like, what the F is wrong with you? <laughs> I am trying to do all the right things. I don't understand why in the world um, yeah. you are punishing me right now. I mean, like, I really felt that way. I'm like, you are punishing me. You hate me. I'm, I must be disgusting to you. No one loves me. No one wants me. 
this is bullshit. You know, I was just really, really mad. Sure. Um, and after I calmed down, I just heard this voice inside of my head and it was like, just go back to school, go to the parking garage, park your car, go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I drove back to campus. Um, I, there was a security guard. He knew me. He knew me really, really well. And I convinced him to let me in the, in the garage because it was closed for the night. Mm -hmm. um, and he could see that I had been screaming my head off and bawling. Yeah. So he was an angel and he let me in the parking garage. And I drove to the warmest little corner of the garage that I could find. And that is where I lived for almost yeah. a month. Yeah. And this is, I just want to remind uh, that 19 years old, right? Yeah. And how, um, you know, it makes me want to cry, Allison, when I say, but how brilliant, how intuitive, how determined, how feisty, mm -hmm. how passionate, um, loving your child, even when, you know, others were asking you to terminate the pregnancy. Um, there's so many words. They're not all coming to my mind because the tears are coming to my eyes. But, you know, your story is powerful in so many ways. Because sometimes um, I feel we get busy, a four-letter word I don't like my kids using. Um, I'd rather they choose, you know, cuss words sometimes don't bother me if they get the point across, right? Um, where the word busy is something we can control. But sometimes we get so busy that we think our life is falling apart. But yeah. then I ask, like, walk down the ICU, and just see what people are doing or, and you brought up another great point about being homeless is not always about uh, somebody not wanting to work or somebody no. using drugs or, or abusing, let's say, abusing drugs or alcohol. It happens. Um, I was uh, challenged in college and I was on the team supporting homeless people versus we had a debate versus the team that was trying to prove that majority of these people chose this life where I was on the team showing and the stories were endless. I mean, this was back in the day that you had to go through microfiche and, and, and final yeah. articles, right? But the stories were all over the place. And now that we have videos and stuff like that, I'm sure they're more even abundant, especially after COVID and things like that. But you know, um, kudos to you for knowing at such a young age who you are and for being able to stand your ground because so, uh, no, thank you. Thank you in so many ways. Thank you for the baby. Thank you for you. Thank you for the work you do because, um, because it's incredible and it's so easy to get busy and then become off kilter, off balance and allow other uh, outside forces. I call it crowdsourcing your confidence to take your confidence away and you go down a path that that would have never 
probably never sat right with your soul, you, you know, however you want to say it, but probably never would have felt correctly. So I, I keep going because we we're all hanging on the edges of our. our- <laughs> Yeah, so um, a substitute professor, um, he, I guess he, he noticed, you know, that I was wearing the same clothes every day and mm-hmm. I was taking a shower um, in the locker room at school. But if you're Smart. not washing your clothes, you smell. Mm. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're bathing your body. If you have the same clothes on, you know, I mean, I was peeing in a parking garage without toilet. Yeah. I was... Eating without napkins. I was eating out of trash cans. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I had mustard and all kinds of stuff, you know. And also I was starting to grow out of my pants. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was, I had fastened my pants with, um, with a rubber band and mm-hmm. it's like pulling my shirt, of, you know, as far over my pants yeah. as I could. And so one night I was in the library. Um, and I wasn't really doing anything. I was just in there because it was warm um, and it was, you know, it was freezing cold outside. And the professor came up to me and he handed me the book Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I saw the word rich and I just kind of looked up at him. I mean, keeping in mind, I was 19 years old. Right. <laughs> And had nothing. And so I just kind of, you know, rolled my eyes. And he was like, it's not about money. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, I really, really, really think that you should read this. And I was like, okay. And so in my car at night, I had to stay awake. Because if I had fallen asleep, I I could have frozen to death. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. the night that I was rescued out of my car with 11 degrees below zero. Um. And I'd stolen like towels. I stole someone's coat. I mean, I was, that's the other thing. You get into survival mode. You will do anything. You're desperate. You don't think that you would do, you know? Um, And so he, he just, he's an angel and he's deceased now, but he really was. He, I really do believe that there was some level of like earth angel in him um, because I started reading the book and I'm one of those weirdos where I don't read a book um, initially from the very front. I open up the middle and if it intrigues me, then I'm like, huh, I'm start reading it from the front. I like it. Yeah. Like, I like it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but one of the very first things that I read was like, Basically, look at your life and look at the results that you're living in because you created it. Mm -hmm. And I was I was in my car and I just remember like, you know, holding the book up to my chest and thinking, I created this. I created this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still still have chills. I mean, I was like and something something inside of me like. Instead of being an angry, suicidal, because I had thought about killing myself, mm-hmm. um, instead of being an angry, suicidal victim in that moment, I was like, well, if I created this, and this is pretty big, I'm pregnant. 
the only thing I own in the whole wide world is my car. Um, I don't have family to turn to. I don't have friends. I don't have anything that I can turn to. If I created this, then what can I create that's good? Right, right. You know? because, you, because you have that innate ability to see the positive. And I love that about you because you. it is, no, thank you for uh, even in the, I want to say coldest, darkest of nights in the most, um, I don't want to use the word tragic because uh, that baby is a, is a beautiful gift, but in, 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 in the most uncomfortable situations, you were able to even take that and see the positive. And I think that, you know, doing the work that you do now in all the different levels that you're able to touch people using your voice, your words, written word, and being on stage and working with groups and one-on-one -on -one that, you know, I like to give people hope that we all can do that. We all can see the positives. And I like to keep on my desk a one minute glass egg timer to remind, to remind people that, you know, within one minute, you can change the way you see something. In a yoga class, it used to be in the down dog position, you know, like it, it, you might uh, think you have wrinkles, Go look at yourself upside down in a mirror. You know what I mean? And, and it, it's all relative, right? Then gravity's pulling things in, in a different way. You know, is that what you really want? You know, but um, but being able to do what you've done, Allison, and, and give that voice right now, uh, just want to remind people that it is within us to be able to make that if we're not seeing through rose colored glasses, cause we weren't handed them at birth like you and I were, you know, you can start saying, what would Allison have thought? How would she have seen it? You know, because that is, that is phenomenal. And again, only at 19 years old, wink, wink. Yeah. Big, big applaud. Thank you. Yeah. It was the very first time in my life that I'd ever stood up for myself. Mm. And it was not, it wasn't easy. It was really scary. I, um, I, I placed my son for adoption mm. and it was a closed adoption. And at that time, um, the, the hospital didn't allow birth mothers to, to even see their babies. They would just take yeah. them out of the room and you never saw them ever again. And, um, I demanded that and I became the troublemaker. I demanded <laughs> to spend three days in the hospital yeah. with my son to remember yeah. yeah. and to bond with him. And I was the very first birth mother to, to do that um, with, with the particular doctor that I was working with. And he kept saying, are you going to be able to do this? Are you going to be able to do this? And I almost didn't, but the night that, um, and I do want to squeeze this in because it, it's so yeah. important. It just, I, I really want whoever's listening to this to understand that we, we are rewarded or yes. the decisions the, for the for the decisions that we make through intuition, and yes. it's not always instant gratification. Mm -hmm. You know, so right in the hospital, um, I was I was 
I had already changed my mind and I was just trying to figure out how in the world I was going to walk out of the hospital and be able to raise my son. I was now I was 20. I had turned 20 and um, I just, I kept feeling like I already chose his parents. Like they already knew that he was coming. And so there was a part of me that was like, I really just don't want to do that to them. But then there was another part of me that's like, but this is my son, you know, this is, this is my child. Um, So Again, I was on my knees and just crying and, and, and mad at God and just saying, like, I yeah. don't understand. Like, how can I love something this much? You want me to give up something that I love, like, more than I've ever loved anything in my life. And I just heard that voice again. And it said, Nathan, if you sign the papers, you'll see him again. And this is a closed adoption. <laughs> But I believed it. And so I signed the papers. And 24 years later, um, I was woken up in the middle of the night and the same voice said, it's time. And I knew exactly what it meant. And I got in touch with our adoption agency and we ended up faxing our paperwork in at the exact same time. And yeah, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, and four days later, we were standing in front of each other. And I can't remember if you mentioned it today, but it's your son, correct? Okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, Allison, you and I, it, I am on the other end as the adoptive mother. And it's something I pray for Sonia's birth mother every day because I know how hard a decision it must have been for her and for you, but it's such a blessing to be on the receiving side. And I love the way you said we are rewarded for the the um, decisions we make using our intuition. And sure, it may not be overnighted Amazon Prime timing, but yeah. it is, in my opinion, usually greater than we could ever ever imagine and i believe that you also have a daughter too and grand yeah i do um so my daughter is 31 and my grandson is five and yeah, yeah and of course of course she had a son you know of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were saying you couldn't see your son grow up but you get to see your grandson grow up Yes. And, you know, um, I think you have a lovely relationship with your oldest, your son, uh, mm -hmm. as well. I think you told me you were able to be at his wedding yeah. uh, right there beside his his um, adoptive parents. So all the parents were there cheering him and his uh, bride to be on. And, you know, those are the things that I think mean so much. And I love that you share you know you you did use the word shame before and it's sad to me that that we do can may feel shame at times but the truth is everybody's going through something everybody's yeah. been through something they will be going through something as much as we would like to think ah that was all in the past it's not things come and go. And, and I saw when my husband was deathly ill with kidney and liver failure, how the men who were suffering with polycystic kidney and polycystic liver through our um, uh, local polycystic chapter were all very shameful where the yeah. women 
had a little different uh, uh, approach about it. Um, the men really didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want it to, um, I'm going to say, ruin their career or ruin opportunities for promotions and so forth in their career. And it was always heartbreaking to me, but a great, um, great experience to see that everybody feels differently. So I commend you for being able to use your voice in such a beautiful and profound way to allow others to feel comfortable in sharing their stories. Because I think when we do that, more and more people can walk around with the rose-colored glasses on, see possibilities in even those hardest times of all. And Think and Grow Rich is one of my absolute favorite books. I read it, I think I may have been 20. Um, I don't know that I was 19. I think it was second year of college, but I can't recall. So, um, Allison, everywhere we can find you is going to be listed here in the sh in the notes below. But I I wonder if there's a piece of advice or uh, something you would like to offer today. Yeah, I would I would love to just say that if you're in a place in your life right now and you're not happy. Just take full responsibility for where you are right now, not in a shaming and judgmental way. Right. Hands over your heart and just be like, I am not happy. I accept the fact that I'm not happy. And then just make a decision that you are not stuck. Make mm -hmm. a decision that you're not a victim because you know, that decision will take you farther than anything else that you can decide. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we're not stuck. Life is a flow, just like the water in the rivers and so forth. And yeah. even the tides at the beach, right? Coming and going and, and so forth. And there's always going to be sometimes these speed bumps that we have to go over a little slower. Um, <laughs> some of them are really long. I've been through a few myself, like, oh my gosh, are, am I still on this speed bump? <laughs> you know, where <laughs> the bottom of the car is bottoming out and so yeah. forth. It's um, totally not fun. But Allison, you are a true delight. I'm, uh, I love living in California, but part of me wishes I was still in Charlotte so I could just hop in my car and ring your doorbell and take you out for a glass of Prosecco. But, um, you know, you are more than welcome to please come visit me when you are on the, the West Coast. I'd love to have you here. And you're just brilliant, profound, and uh a great treasure to have on this earth at the same time. So thank you for all that you do. And thank you for being with me today. Thank you.